big finish for the love of stories. Shut the doors. Now. The doctor slammed the controls and the TARDIS roared out of reality, leaving behind the eerie echo of an old steam whistle. Bliss gripped the console. Are you sure we can outrun it? She asked. At first, she'd only seen it in the distance, crawling over glaciers, carving a path through the botanical forgery and the last of the maniac cities. Wherever they went, no matter how far, it always followed. And it was getting closer. Press that button! the doctor shouted. And whatever you do, don't let go. We'll be safe here in the vortex. Only very powerful, very sophisticated ships... Oh! The console burst like a firework. And on the scanner, Bliss saw something dark and dreadful rushing towards them. The whistle joined with the piercing shriek of ancient wheels as a train came hurtling down the tunnel of the time vortex. But how? How can it be following us? It's not the doctor said. It's following you. And as the train drew closer and closer, the scanner picked up something else. A message like an old intercom crackling into life. Will all passengers please board? This is the salvage train. The next stop is salvage. Bliss felt something stir in the back of her mind. Something she couldn't quite remember. Or something she tried very hard to forget. She staggered back, and for a brief moment, the doctor's eyes met hers as they realised her finger had slipped off the button. Right then, he said, all aboard, and the train came crashing into them. Big Finish presents Doctor Who, Short Trips, Salvage by Max Curtis, read by Adele Anderson. One time, it was 50 toy frogs, all unopened and vacuum sealed. Sometimes it was a brand new shirt two sizes too small or a little locket with a stranger's smile inside. But whenever Bliss's granddad came home from the Derelobian spaceport, he always brought back something strange from the lost and found. It says a lot about people, the things they leave behind, he'd say. Then he'd plop something onto the table. What's this say about them? She'd look at a wedding dress abandoned at the food court and say, Indecisive? Or she'd read the huge grave marker someone left in a suitcase, inscribed with everything but the final date, and she'd say, Forward thinking! But one day, Bliss found him frowning at a small, smooth teardrop of stone. He was turning it over and over in his hands, but nothing happened. I had it appraised, her granddad said. It's a gossip stone, part of a pair. You can leave messages to anyone in the universe, no matter how far. Only this one's dead. Must be alone, poor thing. And he tossed it to her. Yours now. Every night, Bliss poured her secrets into the silent gossip stone. 
the kind of thing she couldn't tell Calla or Ryle, and definitely not her mum, until one day she came home and found it glowing with a dark blue more rich than she could imagine. And when she touched it, the stone spoke back. Can you hear me now? It said, with a voice not much older than hers. Is this salvage? Please, I need your help. I managed to land us in the very last carriage at the very last second, the doctor said, which is fitting because this train is literally running on time. Flickers of light cast sharp shadows over his face as he pressed it to the floor. Oh, that's... Oh, doctor, you don't know what's been there. Nothing, he said, and no one. Not a single footprint, wad of gum or free newspaper has ever touched this floor. Shame, I like the free newspapers. They make the best free hats. The doctor leapt to his feet. So why you, here, now? The familiar glow of the blue box illuminated an otherwise dark and empty train carriage. Nothing out of the ordinary, Bliss reassured herself. Metal walls, shutter doors, surprisingly plush seats with some impressively hideous upholstery. And the raging fires of the time vortex blazing through the windows and threatening to consume them at any moment. But apart from that, ordinary. Only, she couldn't ignore how old and lived-in everything looked. Dents in the walls, impressions in the fabric. And there was something else. That word. Welcome aboard the salvage train. Salvage, the doctor said, chewing over the word. But Bliss froze. Didn't someone once tell her about... Will all new arrivals please take their seats and prepare for temporal storage? Um, what does that mean exactly? Bliss asked. Temporal storage initiating. No idea. But better safe than temporally stored. The doctor rushed forward and shoved his screwdriver at the door to the next carriage. The hair stood up on the backs of their necks. All around them, the walls began to thrum with a strange, stale energy that grew and grew, getting hotter and hotter. Finally, the door clunked open. Bliss flung herself forward and the doctor slammed the door shut behind them just moments before the walls of the carriage took an enormous breath of light and power, only to fizzle out like an awkward cough. Temporal storage failure is final carriage. This is the salvage train. Not that I'm complaining, Bliss said, but why didn't it work? And... Doctor, where are you off to? She turned, but the doctor was already charging down the aisle towards the next carriage. This one was almost identical to the last, except Bliss found a thick blanket of dust tracing the outlines of her shoes. She chased after him. You know there's a string in my back, and if you pull it, it says, Doctor, where are you going? We are going to the front of the train to introduce whoever's driving this thing to a slightly less pointless hobby, like competitive knitting or brand management. Because someone's steering a glorified metal tube through time and space, and I'd like to know why says the man with the glorified wooden box. A wooden box with slightly more legroom, the doctor said, and power sockets, not to mention passengers, because where is everyone? The next carriage passed by, and the next, each one increasingly filled with odd leftovers. Scraps of paper laid gently on the seats. A stuffed tiger lounging in the overhead luggage rack. 
Piles of coats laid out in a crude imitation of a bed, never slept in. Bliss was examining the makeshift bed as she waited for him to unlock the next door. What is all this? Cargo? Freight? But there still aren't any. The door slid open. Passengers. In the centre of the carriage stood a ghost, gripping the backs of the seats so tightly she was sure it was rearing back to lunge forward at them. It's not a freight train, the doctor said. It's a ghost train. Hello there. Are you the conductor? I'm afraid we haven't bought tickets, but I do have my 16 to 2500 rail card. The ghost stood still. As Bliss got closer, she saw it wasn't some dark phantom, but a faceless, lonely figure whose body seemed to have been punched out of the universe, leaving very tangible, very frayed clothes around its empty body. Can it hear us? Bliss asked. Did it, or they, um, did they come on board as a ghost? Why would a ghost need a train? Except to visit old haunts. So did they, you know, die here? He stepped forward, pressing his hand against theirs. No, because they're not dead, just not with us. Not entirely, not anymore. The ghost's fingers melted together at the touch. There's something very wrong aboard this train. So, Bliss, tell me, what exactly is salvage? Her heart fluttered and her stomach lurched. That look on your face back in the TARDIS. You've heard it somewhere before, before you met me. I don't, I don't. You don't remember, the doctor said, because you're trying to recall a moment in time that no longer exists. Derelobia, your Derelobia, the Derelobia from before the Time War, it's gone. He peeled his hands from the ghosts and placed them on her forehead. But I can help you remember, if you'll allow me. She stood still. She said nothing. But eventually she nodded. And then... Little frogs, shirts, rockets and wedding dresses and grave markers. And something more. Something she hadn't thought about in years. She wrenched away from the doctor's touch. Bliss gripped the seats, staggering forward towards the next carriage, as if she could see something beyond the many doors between them and the driver's compartment. We have to keep going, she gasped. What is it? What's salvage? Bliss looked back. Home. No matter how many books Bliss checked out of the school library, she couldn't find any place in the universe called Kintsuji Camp. But the way the girl in the Gossip Stone had described it, with its milk stars setting beneath unnervingly perfect rows of white tents, Bliss was sure she wasn't lying. I'm Misper, by the way, she said one day, quietly, as if someone else might be listening to the stones. You'll need to know that for when I visit you some day. It had taken a while for the stones to fully connect, but now they talked almost every night. Sometimes it was secrets, but most nights, all Misbah ever wanted to hear about was Derelobia. Do you have your own room? she'd ask. 
What posters have you got hanging up? Do you live in a skyscraper? What's your favourite street? And Bliss would look around her boring old room with her bare walls and the view of grey skyscrapers, grey streets and the slightly grey people she'd be trapped with till she could fly off-world for uni. So she began inventing a better derilobia, the kind of derilobia she wished she lived in, where liquid skyscrapers swayed in the summer wind, hanging over crooked streets that seemed to trap the evening shadows. But Bliss wanted to talk about another place entirely. Miss Burr, she said, that first time you thought I was in some place called Salvage and you said you needed help. Oh yeah, I did, if you were in Salvage. But you're not, so... Miss Burr, she started again, what is Salvage? For a long while, Bliss sat there, clutching a quiet stone as she stared out at grey skyscrapers twinkling in the dark. From the other end, silence. Then slowly, Misba began. On every world, there were stories of the place where lost things go, missing keys, dolls dropped by children in the street, gloves and earrings and a million, million pens dropping out of the universe. What if, Misbah said, all those lost things actually went somewhere, somewhere safe, somewhere no war could ever touch, a dimension or, or perhaps an intelligence formed from all those lost things and the things we leave behind? And what if you could reach it? Because it was said, if you had nowhere else to go and nothing left to lose, salvage could be a place for lost people too. Now it was Bliss's turn to be silent, to listen to be a good friend. But she couldn't help herself. So it's like, what, all those socks that vanish in the wash, Bliss said. But that's ridiculous. I mean, if the quantum phone were that unstable. It's just a story. Yeah, a story about a pocket dimension for lost house keys. You asked, I answered, Misba said. That's why I ditched the stone. I thought, if I tried losing it, it'd end up in salvage and I'd meet someone who's found it and you could bring me there. The silence was heavy with the many questions Bliss had never asked about Kintsuji Camp. But like I said, you're not and you can't, so good night. Bliss found herself alone among the grey skyscrapers. She could almost feel the connection snap. It hadn't just gone quiet. This time, the gossip stone was dead. The train hissed and shuddered, as if begging its gasping engine to go on, to keep running, even as it scraped the walls of reality and threatened to derail itself with every wild turn. Come on, Doctor, say it. I know you want to. Just say it. Doctor! She thought she could take it, but the look on the Doctor's face cut straight through her. Bliss, he said. It isn't real but she couldn't stop thinking of all the little things she'd lost. The stuffed penguin a boy on the bus had thrown out the window. Her great nan's ring she'd lost down the drain. The checkered scarf she'd dropped dancing in the street the day she got a place at Luna. Derilobia was gone, and that was fine. She'd accepted that. But what if something had survived? Or someone? The farther forward they went, 
The more ghosts filled the train until every seat was full, with everyone sitting completely, unnaturally still. Some were crouched in the aisles, or sprawled in the overhead luggage racks. But one thing was clear. They weren't brought here by force, the doctor said. No trace of a transmat. They boarded willingly, which means they knew the destination. But every carriage is discreet. Ghosts from different worlds, different times, different clothes, occupations, backgrounds. So why would all these ghosts have the same story in common? Bliss stopped dead in her tracks. Because they're not ghosts. A shiver passed through the room. She hadn't noticed before, but the ghosts in this carriage still had the lingering outlines of eyes which darted to the windows. From somewhere deep within the train, they felt the slightest change in pressure long before the metallic scream of the brakes. This is the salvage train. The next stop is salvage. Now approaching salvage. With a jolt, the time vortex fell away and light flooded into the carriage. For a moment, as she squinted into the luxurious brightness, Bliss felt like she had two hearts something away. But instead of the place of lost things she'd imagined, what she'd thought was sunlight resolved into a thick heat draped over the snow-capped landscape. On the horizon, flames walked the way people walk, bending down and swallowing living glaciers whole before instantly spitting them out as steam. We apologise for the unexpected stop. Will all new arrivals please board? The next stop is Salvage. As the train came to a halt, Bliss watched as a crowd of people in the valley below fled from the fire towards the train. They're refugees! Not just them out there, but everyone on board. Why are they all refugees? It follows the time war, the doctor said. War zones and refugee camps, people who are about to be erased from history. It turns up right on time with the dream of a free trip to the only place safe from the war. Maybe they believe it, maybe they don't. But in a universe of slammed doors, closed borders and barbed atmospheres, what choice do they have? And that's why it came after me, Bliss asked, because I shouldn't even exist. But if it's saving people, putting them on pause, why has everyone turned into ghosts? Because the time war isn't just another war. Whole peoples and planets are being erased unless, unless you have some form of temporal shielding. The doctor ran a hand through his hair. Imagine a long line of custard creams. Is that really the analogy you're going with? Right, fine. Imagine an infinitely long line of chocolate bourbons. Each bourbon holds together a little sliver of chocolate. That's what every one of these carriages is a temporal shield keyed to the timelines of its specific passengers, like cream being carefully held in place. Oh, that thing the intercom tried to zap us with, that storage thing, Bliss said. But the line of bourbons is getting longer. Bliss followed the doctor's gaze out of the window. She'd been so sure they were nearing the front of the train. But far away, the newest passengers were coming on board at least a thousand carriages ahead of them. Only a single set of doors was open to greet them. This train is formed of 16, 40, 100 and 700 and 1,000 and... We've been going back to front, 
Literally, the doctor said. People arrive at the front. They take their seats. They dream of salvage. And then he slapped his hands together. They can't talk. They can't move. But they're still conscious. So all they can do is wait. Days, months, years. All those stops and none of them salvage. And every time, the driver's compartment spits out a fresh carriage, pushing the older ones farther and farther back, straining to preserve an infinitely expanding set of new arrivals. Bliss looked around at the crowd of motionless ghosts. Not ghosts, but ordinary people trapped between life and death. Behind her, people were fading away, carriage by carriage, until at the very back of the train, there was nobody left at all. She thought of those walls and seats battered by centuries of travel time. That floor wasn't just clean, it's been cleaned, scrubbed down to the last atom. The carriages can hold back the clock, but eventually time catches up. Just ahead of the driver's compartment, Bliss saw something like a black sun open up on the horizon. In a moment, the train was swallowed back into the howling time vortex. The question is, he continued, who's driving this thing? And are they somehow using these refugees, draining them? Or are they really searching for the place where lost things go? Long after she'd left grey old Derilobia behind, when the name Salvage felt like a childhood dream, Bliss finally found Mizbar's home. It was in a physics lecture of all things. Just a mention, barely a footnote. A rare case study for unravelling the mysteries of huon particles and Z neutrinos. But it was completely impossible because history showed that something had wiped out the whole of the Kintsugi Shatter more than a thousand years ago. It was slow at first, almost imperceptible. But the closer they got to the front, the more solid the passengers became. They started growing faces, wearing skin, looking as real as the clothes on their backs. But still they were fixed to their seats, conscious, alive, and trapped, with no idea of the years people farther back had been waiting. Bliss knew she should tell them. They had a right to know, but she couldn't bring herself to do it. So they kept walking until, in time, they reached the carriage filled with the refugees they'd watched board, with their faces permanently suspended in hope. Bliss's head was sore, her feet ached, but before them stood one last door, curtained with a shimmer of energy. Driver's compartment, the doctor read, birthplace of all the carriages, like a vast game of snake. The doctor touched a hand to the lever and looked back. It was as if he could see the thousands of doors between them and the TARDIS. I knew you'd find it someday, Bliss said, the longest corridor in the universe. He gave her a sad little smile. Then it fell. So, Bliss, are you ready to face whoever's inside? She screwed her eyes shut, mustered up all her courage and said, No. Then she opened the door. Hello? 
Who's in here? Bliss asked. It took a moment to adjust, but as her eyes got used to the sterile white light of the driver's compartment, she saw the only thing she wasn't prepared for. I don't understand. There's nobody here. A view screen, a chair, a control panel. No one to help or defeat. Nothing to save or stop, just an empty room. But where's the driver? If there ever was a driver, the doctor said, they're long gone. It's been sending out distress calls for ages, but the universe hasn't answered. The autopilots put up a good fight. Must have lasted several centuries wandering around aimlessly through time and space. Well, I know how it feels. Right, but someone must have built it and left it running, yeah? The, the Time Lords? I mean, I mean, look at the decor. This whole room screams Time Lords. Oh! Or the Daleks, scooping up all these people for some reason. The doctor prodded the controls half-heartedly. I'm afraid I have absolutely no idea. The command console burnt out aeons ago. This whole place is basically held together with paper clips and sheer willpower. There's just one thing left on the Navicom's psychic drive. One tiny, simple instruction. Find salvage. On the screen, Bliss saw the computer desperately searching for little tears in reality where lost things vanish, pockets of time where people go missing. But wherever it goes, the doctor continued, the train never finds it. Just more lost souls fleeing the time war. That's why it keeps saying, the next stop is salvage. The next stop is definitely, finally salvage. It's not lying, it's hoping. Okay then, let's abandon ship. Or uh, abandon train. We go back, grab the TARDIS, get everyone out. Oh, come on, you can't tell me there's nothing we can do. The doctor hadn't met her gaze, but now he locked eyes with her. There's nothing we can do. Each carriage is locked to its passenger's temporal signature. Forget leaving the train. They can't even nip down the dining car or... He snapped his fingers. And Bliss imagined someone dissolving into nothing. But what should they do? Walk the whole way back? Look every face in the eye and just leave them all here? And it was still gnawing at her. The hope that somehow, somewhere, salvage really was out there. Terralobia was gone, but Bliss wasn't. She leapt at the controls. The doctor had said they were psychic, hadn't he? Like the TARDIS. A psychic Navicom. Just point and think. Bliss, stop. You can't. A stuffed penguin. Her grandmother's ring, her favourite scarf and everything else she'd lost. The heat of her mum's homemade rugula. The box of sand shells she'd collected with her granddad. The little gossip stone she tossed in a drawer, secretly hoping that someday the stone would glow that rich dark blue again and she could finally say sorry. Bliss followed her memories like breadcrumbs through the time vortex, begging the train to find its way to salvage. Hold on! the doctor shouted. As Bliss blinked back into reality, she saw the time vortex falling away and the ground of another world rushing towards them. She fumbled for the seatbelt and held tight as hundreds of train carriages came crashing down. When she woke, she found the doctor coughing and waving at the smoke from the controls. <laughs> Inertial dampeners held out. Passengers are probably just a, <clears throat> a bit shaken. 
Can't say the same for the train, though. I'm afraid this really <coughs> is the last stop wherever we are. Salvage, Liz said. I know it is. It's got to be. She opened a side door with a few good kicks. After a moment, the smoke started to clear and she took her first look at this brand new world. No, not brand new. She knew it was impossible, but there it was. Somehow, Bliss was looking out at her world, Derilobia. Bliss, it's not safe. But the creaks and groans of the train snatched his voice as she ran, harder than she'd ever run, towards home. Smoke from the train crash billowed over the grey skyscrapers and grey streets of her childhood. But she turned from the dark clouds towards the skyscrapers blooming with sunlight over the tangle of shops in the market. Growing up, she'd acted like the streets led in one direction, away towards the shuttle port. But now it felt like climbing an ancient tree, twisting through little hideaways and secret paths. But her footsteps echoed through a silent, empty city. And wherever she looked, long shadows, human shadows, trembled in the setting sun, cast by no one. Derilobia was just as she'd left it, but everyone else was gone. Hello? Anyone home? She knocked, but the door simply creaked open. The oven was on. Her mum's homemade rugula was nearly done baking. Mum? Grandad? She was standing in her old room. Was it always this small? Her old quantum theory textbook still sat neatly on her desk, next to the bright purple pencil case that carried her through revision. A few posters hung on the walls. Films she'd pretended she'd seen, bands she'd long since forgotten about. Vidpad celebs who no longer existed. Fifty toy frogs, still unopened and vacuum sealed, threatened to spill out of the closet. And in her drawer, she found a small, smooth teardrop of stone. Dim, silent, and dead. Misba, are you there? Bliss curled up onto her bed and cradled the lonely gossip stone in her hands. Misba, I'm sorry. I tried, I really did. But I don't think there's any place for lost things, or lost people. Silvery curtains rustled through the open balcony. The skyscrapers were flickering away like smoke from a candle snuffed out in the breeze. So where do I go from here? A voice came from the doorway. You know you need two of those, right? The doctor always stepped into the path the way most people step between rooms. But having him here, in her room, in her past, just reminded her how small her life must seem. He bounced onto the bed. Ooh, I like your style. Very, I am teenager, hear me roar. By the way, is Rugula supposed to be crispy? Because your oven's ever so slightly on fire. Of course, so's the rest of this world. How'd you find me? I did try bringing you home once. Though in that reality, this place was a pile of rubble. The doctor spotted the look on her face. I mean, as piles of rubble go, it was very homely. I can't go back, Bliss said. We can't stay. We shouldn't even be here. 
Don't tell the TARDIS, she'll be jealous. Somehow, we've arrived in the exact moment Derelobia was erased from time. Bliss pulled her duvet a little closer. It even smelled like home. Can we stop it? Bring Derelobia back? My Derelobia? It's like the light of dusk after the sun's already set. You just have to enjoy it while it lasts. But it won't last long. Bliss tucked her knees under her chin. I can't go. Not yet. I thought if I could just... But there's nothing here. She took deep, slow breaths. I need more time, Doctor. Just a little more time. Please. I wish we had some. I really do. But look out there. Every building, every street. Reality is fraying at the edges. Even the sky is just a white void now and it's getting closer. Bliss, you don't have to let go. Never let go. But you have to keep going. She held the gossip stone tight. She was home. But somehow, home felt farther away than ever. Salvage didn't exist. And soon, neither would Derelobia. Bliss, look! The desk shook. The walls trembled. The closet rumbled. And then it burst open. Hand-me-down clothes squeezed out through cracks in the window pane. Old shoes marched out of the room. Posters peeled off the walls. Toy frogs hopped into the air. Her granddad's house keys scraped onto the pavement. All across Derelobia, the lost things of this lost city were coming alive. Heading towards the train, she said, gazing at all the colours and shapes streaming down those grey streets. Oh, the train! She took one last look at everything she'd left behind. And then Bliss kept going. As they found their way back to the crash site, everything that was left of Derelobia came pouring down the smokestack of the steam train. It looked like it was squaring its shoulders, straightening its vast spine of carriages, as if readying itself for battle. Bliss leapt back into the driver's compartment and pressed her hands into the controls. Bliss reached out, and the train, or the intelligence inside it, reached back. It never got to salvage, Bliss said, because this train is salvage. Like the announcements keep saying, this is literally the salvage train. With a thought, the control panel hissed open to expose the vast engine, a bigger on the inside chamber whirling with a galaxy of objects. And at its heart, muddy and battered, was a little toy train that long ago someone left behind. Once, it was the place where lost things go. Every forgotten house key, every sock that goes missing in the wash. But the more it's salvaged, the more its home came under threat. Sometimes a great secret or a terrible weapon might find its way there. And eventually, the time war came for salvage. So it ran and left its home behind. And it found a universe in flames. In moments, whole worlds were being erased and reborn and undone again. What could it do? What did it always do? It salvaged the wreckage. 
It carved walls from lost keys and burnt scrap metal. It formed seats from old teddy bears and second-hand dresses. It saved people with recycled tech from a dozen civilizations thrown together, preserving them until it found some place safe, powered by the psychic energy of the lost things it found along the way. Held together with paper clips and sheer willpower, the doctor said, keeping its passengers alive as long as possible and hoping for the best. But it never imagined the time war could rage on forever, with nowhere safe to stop and build a new salvage. It didn't know what to do, so it found us. He grinned. It found you. What can we do? Bliss asked. There was a sudden steel behind the doctor's eyes. He grabbed the controls and the engine eased itself forward back into the vortex. It won't be easy and it won't be perfect because there's absolutely no way these people can ever leave this train. Not until the time war's over. But I might. Just might know a way they can make this place home. For some, it had been years, or decades, or centuries. But right down the carriages, all at once, the passengers of Salvage felt the weight of time lift, and they were free to roam the train. It had taken almost all the lost things the train had collected from Derelobia, plus a few spare parts salvaged from the TARDIS. But in the end, all it needed was a new coat of paint. Well, it's more of a temporal mesh fluid bonded to the exterior shell and keyed to the fluctuating timelines of every passenger at once, the doctor explained. But it is a very fetching shade of black. By the time the doctor and Bliss had found their way back to the end of the train, the passengers were drawing up plans to build sleeper coaches and school carriages, gyms and dining cars. The aisles would always be gridlocked. Messages might take hours to send down the train, but they could turn this in-between place into a home. Just for a little while, until the time war ended. But won't people notice things going missing? I mean, the train can salvage a few mattresses and barbells here and there. What about food, medicine, clothes? The doctor fumbled through his coat pockets. Well, ships and shops always find discrepancies in their stock takes. The universe is full of excess. Have you seen how much food is destined for a landfill? You could live off cafes for a millennia. Trust me, I have. Now where did I... Ah. He reached into his shoe and pulled out a key. Always the last place you look, he said, as the TARDIS creaked open. Bliss lingered behind in the doorway till she felt the presence of a ghostly figure beside her. Oh, sorry, you startled me. Are you starting to feel like your old self again? An almost fleshy finger pointed at the blue box. Oh, that! It's my home. For now. She wondered if the ghost might ask if they could come too. But they both knew the answer. So what'll you do now then? Bliss asked. As if on command, light poured through the windows and the doors of every carriage slid open. Home, the ghost said, stretching their vocal cords experimentally, like a leg that's fallen asleep. They'd never be the same, but every word was getting easier. Bliss's grip relaxed, and she suddenly realised she was still holding tight onto something from Derelobia. 
she could almost feel a trace of the old connection. All those nights, whispering secrets and telling stories, she'd carved a path through time and space. A path, perhaps, that could be followed. I'm not even sure it's possible, but please. Bliss pressed a gossip stone into the ghost's hands. Can you find someone for me? 